did any of you last night watch the last in the series episode of Doctor Who? Yes? Oh, well, I won't give away, no spoilers here. Simply this, that uh, the Doctor is in a particular location, I won't say where, um, but he is, as he describes it, at the edge of time. And uh, as I was watching this, I was thinking, aha, but I know what's the other side of that edge. And there's somehow, there's this fascination, isn't there, within our human nature, with things which are just so unimaginably big that we can't, we can't get our heads around it, we can't work with it, and yet we constantly keep probing and thinking, what, what, is, what is beyond? And what I want to do this morning is just to talk for a very few minutes about this season that we're approaching now where we remember when eternity, the other edge of time, when eternity intersected with our world. And it's mind-blowing, but we'll try. We're in this uh, season of Advent, as Ben was so wonderfully reminding us, and Advent is a word that simply means arrival. And what we're doing here, and uh, I was listening to, um, have any of you heard the, uh, the Christian commentator, Anne Atkins, do you know that name? She sometimes speaks on Radio 4. Uh, she was talking recently about Advent, and she was saying it's the only Christian festival that is looking forwards. It's, it's, it's anticipating something. It's, it's beckoning, it's welcoming something. And what it's welcoming is this arrival, the coming of the King. Oh, I'm excited already. <clears throat> and it's a time, where there's this word, it's, um, I suppose you could say it's a, it's a theological word, you know, one of those academic words. We talk about incarnation. Um, now, that's nothing to do with being doused in condensed milk. <laughs> it's a horrible thought, isn't it, that one? But this word, incarnation, it means the embodiment of something in physical form. That's what it, that's what it means. And this is a time when we think about, remember, that... Jesus came and was embodying something, and we'll find out a bit more about that, in physical form. Now, <clears throat> here in this church, we believe that Jesus was both completely God and completely man. Uh, that is an issue that the early church fought over to absolutely tooth and nail because it was so important to them. This was the revelation that they'd understood that had come through Jesus Christ, that he was both fully God and yet somehow fully man. Why, why does that matter? Well, if he was not fully God, then... He could not bring to us 
all of the fullness of God into our life. And if he was not a man, then this divine life still doesn't reach us. It's still out there. It's like some bright, distant, beautiful star, but it's unattainable. That's why it's so important that we understand the nature of who Jesus was. Now, my text this morning is taken from John's Gospel. And I have to say, I have been, I have been unable to move from this territory. John's Gospel, I have found over recent months, going back probably into last year as well, has just lived with me, and which is why I had to come with this this morning. Um, that is the text I'm going to use. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now that, that's from one of the older renderings. But before we go on and we look into that in a bit more depth, I just want to say something about this, this character, John himself. Um, John's Gospel. It's, we, we think it's, there's general agreement that John's Gospel was the latest of the contemporary accounts of Jesus' life on earth. <coughs> Intriguingly, it differs so much from the other three Gospels. For instance, there are over 50 parables recorded in the other three Gospels. But John doesn't use one of them. There are, oh, I don't know how many miracles. Um, but he only recounts some eight miracles, which he calls signs. Yes. And five of them are unique to his gospel. Now, instantly, this is telling you something about he has a different perspective on who this person of Jesus was. For himself, as a man, now an old man when he's writing, he had been one of Jesus' uh, closest friends, one of his followers. He had actually lived through and witnessed the effect, the impact of this incomparable life that Jesus brought. He had been at the forefront of this, this movement that was in, in process of changing the world and he himself had been persecuted, he'd been exiled and it was as a result of that whole uh, journey that he himself had been through that he has time to reflect and think about the significance of this life that he had been privileged to share. And what we have on record is that perspective. And to me, it is just one of the most amazing things that John brings to us, and this is where I come to the Doctor Who connection. He brings to us somehow through the fabric of this, the life of this man Jesus, he brings to us an insight 
into eternity. Somehow he manages to bring the two together and as you go through his gospel you'll see these two things just weaving constantly together. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What I'm going to do and uh, hopefully you'll be able to follow this on screen. Uh, I'm going to read from the first uh, 14 verses. I'm not going to read all of them but I'm going to read from the first 14 verses of John chapter 1 and I'm using the Passion Translation which I have here and which you, you have on the screen. <clears throat> uh, it might help you just to listen rather than trying to, to follow. In the very beginning, God was already there. And before his face was his living expression. This is the term that the, the Greek uses or translates as logos, which means word or message or, interestingly, blueprint. And this living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together, face to face, in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. There's a nice Greek translation of that, which I'll try and render in the English, and it says this, Without him, nothing became, not one thing which has become. I mean, that's pretty inclusive, isn't it? Life came into being because of him. For his life is light for all humanity. And this living expression is the light that bursts through gloom, the light that darkness could not diminish. Wonderful, wonderful. <coughs> I'm going to go and read a little bit more uh, in a moment, but uh, a few things I just want to draw out from that. First of all, um, and this is using the, the Aramaic language, that's where that term living expression comes from, that this, this Jesus, who was about to appear as a human being, was himself the very full expression of all that God is and all that God intends. He somehow, without words, was verbalizing everything about the nature of God, everything about the heart of God and the intent of God. He is what I've called the face-to-face -face one, as we saw in verse 2 there. He lives from this, I love that expression, he lives from already there. You know, in the beginning, he was already there. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's, uh, 
you turn up and he's already there. It says something, doesn't he, about the, the nature of Jesus, this one who's existed from all eternity within this uh, amazing relationship of the Godhead. But the way it describes it is this one of face to face. He and the Father live in this face to face relationship where there is absolutely, there's no screen, there's no shadow, there's no distance. There is a complete intimacy and openness and transparency between the Father and the Son. There's this heartfelt givenness to one another. This, this he is the face-to-face -face one. And this face-to-face -face one is the one who has come. We'll find out a little bit more about why in a moment. Interestingly, uh, that's the term that the scripture uses, face to face. Interestingly, the Hebrew has no word for presence. Interesting. We use it a lot, don't we? But actually, presence can have something of the intangible about it. Whereas when you're face to face with somebody, you really know, don't you? You're staring, you're looking into the eyes of somebody who is known to you and who is knowing you. That has a very different quality, doesn't it? Yeah. He is the creator. And uh, I used that uh, word blueprint. He is the, this Jesus. In fact, his name wasn't Jesus, was it? Before, when he was already there. It was a name he acquired. But before, he was the very origin of life itself. That's what this, this scripture is saying. That's what John began to understand. This man that he'd walked with, he could say, he was the very origin of life. He is the very pattern and blueprint for life. Because he'd seen it face to face. That's amazing. This Jesus... He is, verse 4 of that uh, section that I read, he is the very source and sustainer of life. So not only is, the one, is he the one who, from whom it all springs, if you like, but he actually is the one who sustains it. So everything that we see around us, everything about Humanity, everything about the cosmos, we understand from this scripture that Jesus is the very one who sustains the whole thing. This is awesome. I, I, I struggle to comprehend what it, the, the magnitude of this amazing person that we've been introduced to. Not only is he my saviour, but he's my sustainer as well. He was my sustainer before I ever knew him. He, he was the one in whom I have my origin. I take my very meaning and source from him. Whether I knew it or not. 
this is incredible stuff, isn't it? And John had this revelation of this wonderful Christ. He is the light. <laughs> I love this. Right in the beginning, right in the beginning of Genesis, it talks about how, you know, there was, um, you know, darkness covered the face of the earth. Everything was disordered, it was chaotic, it was void. And then God says, God, the triune God says, let there be light. And instantly, the darkness is consumed, it's eaten up. It's banished. It's somehow absorbed into the light. And we've come to understand Jesus himself. He is the light. So when God spoke at the beginning and said, let there be light, he said, son, go on, let them have some of what you've got. <laughs> let it fill the earth. Let it fill the cosmos. Let there be light. Let the, let the whole of creation, let it be filled with you. Yes. This is the person that John is bringing to us. This is the one that he is holding out to us as the one who became flesh. The darkness, it cannot overcome him. I like this. It can't even dimly work out who he is. <laughs> they are that different. It, the darkness, and I'm kind of personifying it a bit here, but the darkness has no idea what it's dealing with. You can almost sense that, go on, make my day. <laughs> can't you? You know? So, the word became flesh. Um... I'm going to read from verse 10. If we can go to that bit, Dan, please. <clears throat> Again, the revelation of this. The creator entered into the very world he created. Yet the world was unaware. He came to the very people he created to those who should have recognized him but they did not receive him but those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given the authority to become who they really are the sons of God he was born by the joint he was not born I'm sorry by the joining of human parents or from natural means, or by a man's desire. But he was born of God. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. Wow. Wow. There's a bit of a trailer there, by the way. Um, that passage where it talks about he was not born by the joining of human parents can equally be translated as meaning the sons of God are not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or <clears throat> by a man's desire but they are born of God 
the trailer is that everything that we see in him is ours. So equally what is said of him is said of us. Uh, yes, it is. It's incredible. Now simply, when we say the word became flesh, or the living expression became a man, what we're saying is that he took bodily form, just like you and me. But there's something more than that. Uh, biblically speaking, <clears throat> when we see that word flesh, it, the vast majority of times in scripture it's associated with man in his fallenness. So what we have here is this notion that this pre-existing, already there God, who had been the source of it all, somehow was connecting himself right into, right in the midst of man's fallenness. That there's something about this which says to me, forgive me, I'll get like this, um, your creator, your father, he is so passionate uh, about you. He is so passionate for this relationship with you that out of his love for you, he will go to the most extreme distance. He will go to the greatest extent to remove everything which is not in line with that love that he has for you. He will take you, he will take, me, he will take us from the most remote, darkest, horrible place by coming into it. Not calling you out, he'll come into it and reach you there. That's what the message of this is. I was trying to think of um, an analogy that would help us with this. And um, I, I found myself reminded about the, the condition of those desperate, uh, millions of desperate refugees um, that we have seen recently and talked about in the news. And we, like them, have been... Um, in our fallenness, we've been excluded from our true home. Uh, our true home is in the bosom of the Father. But we, like them, we've been excluded from our true home. We've found ourselves adrift uh, in an alien and alienating world. We find ourselves as fallen human beings fighting. Uh, for survival in this hostile environment I'm not saying God's world is hostile what I mean is the world that man has created is not ambient it's not fit it doesn't work for who we are as people so we find ourselves in this hostile environment fighting for survival 
It also means that spiritually we're being subject to exploitation and attack. How many times, I don't know about you, but I, I find the evil of human trafficking and the way that people are being exploited because of their desperate desire to escape something that is threatening their life, their livelihood, their families, I find that people who will exploit that, I just find that so... I mean, it, it is the depth, isn't it? But there is a spiritual parallel. There is one who will exploit our condition. We, like them, have suffered at the hands, if you like, of a brutal regime, a vicious dictator. You can see where I see the parallel. Um, and actually, I'm not. This is not. Um, I'm not concocting this. I'm not making it up. Uh, the Bible itself has the very same picture. If you go back to Exodus, you see the people of God suppressed and oppressed under the foot of Egypt, under the foot of Pharaoh. And it's exactly the same picture of slavery, of privation, of cruelty. And that's the condition that Jesus came as a man. He entered our fallenness. So we were lost, broken, rebellious, corrupt. And our imagination concerning the things of God just completely darkened by this environment that we've been in. And completely without hope. And what does God do? The author, <laughs> the author of creation, steps into our earthbound existence and connects us with heaven. He, the very, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just find this stuff absolutely amazing. The very source and originator of life. <laughs> he came to inhabit our dead condition and infuse it with his own life. Yeah. I love the, uh, there's one translation, isn't there, in Hebrews where it talks about the Christ, of this irrepressible life. Can you imagine the deadness of humanity being rolled over by the force of this irrepressible, pre-existent, everlasting life. There is no competition, honestly. This is what was happening when Jesus came, that very first nativity. In the midst of our darkness, the light 
<laughs> the light entered. Consuming and overtaking every shadow. This is how passionate God is about us. This is how passionate God is, let it be said, about the world that we look at and we think, what hope? And God says, there is hope. It's right here. In our, our weakness, our frailty, our anger and doubt, the sustainer of life came alongside to stand in our shoes, to lift our burden and to give us the power to walk in that life. <laughs> it's incredible. It's all there in the first five verses of John. John 1. Now what it doesn't mean is that, um, just in case there's any doubt, it didn't mean that um, Jesus became somehow contaminated or sinful. Um, <clears throat> but what he did do was he embraced my weakness, my frailty, my sorrow. He, he took it into himself. He allowed himself. This one who was preeminent, the one who, before anything, had the imagination to bring this stuff into being, he entered into my doubt. He entered into my confusion and, and lack of understanding. He came into that place. And this is the thing that I, I love so wonderful. It's the life of Jesus, we understand from Scripture. In fact, somebody asked me this question the other night. Do you think that Jesus experienced pressure? And I said, yes, absolutely, big time. Because here he was, in the fullness of his humanity, living out the intimacy of this fellowship with his Father in the face of challenge, tiredness, temptation, struggle, desertion, you name it. And in all of that, our Lord Jesus kept faith. Yeah. He kept true yeah, yeah. to that relationship yeah. of which he had been part from, from the already there. Yeah. He lived it out as a human being. So boy, yes, did he go through the pressure. But no, he didn't concede. It was like, do you remember the time when Jesus um, <clears throat> touches the leper? Yeah. You, you don't remember? No. no. Do you remember the story in the scripture where Jesus touches the leper? Well, the good news is Jesus didn't get sick. It was the leper that got healed. Work that one around. Yeah? So Jesus has come, the very living expression of God's intent for humanity to take up and occupy 
life as a man, actually to live life as a man. He came, we say he came as a man, and that kind of singles him out, doesn't it? It kind of enables us to separate him off from us and say, well, he was a man, you know, all right, 2,000 years ago. Um, he was you know, a Jewish man born in Palestine. He, he lived under, you know, Roman regime and, and all that. And we can use all that stuff to distance him from us. But he didn't just come as a man. He came as the man. So just as we found our lives, again, according to scripture, we found our life in Adam, it isn't that way anymore. Jesus came as the man. He came as the son of man. That he, he came as one in whom we all can find our true identity. So Jesus... Rather than him being contaminated by our sin, <clears throat> he's flipped it the other way around. And he did, remember I'm talking about how um, the word became flesh and how flesh so often relates to our fallenness. He entered our flesh and he did what was the only thing that he could do with it. He took it to a tomb and left it there so this is the mystery of the Christ he came in the flesh he entered our flesh and crucified it took it down into death so that you and I could be raised with him in our true identity we could be raised with him into a newness of life and indeed an expression of life. So here he was, fully human, but now alive in eternity. Wow, that's amazing. So <clears throat> what does all this mean for us? Well, <clears throat> as I've said, God has this burning desire for a relationship with you and me. Do you know, I said, I thought this was going to take about 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. How am I doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm cool. It's good stuff, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So by becoming human, this face-to-face -face one has actually included you. When Jesus came, the Father's fellowship with the Son was left intact. It didn't get broken. I dare to say this, even at the cross, it didn't get broken. That fellowship carried on right the way through. Now, now, you and I have been raised to enjoy that same face-to-face -face fellowship with the Father. That was always God's intent. The Creator, the one by whom and for whom everything was made, he holds the secret to your magnificent design. He knows you absolutely. He knows you through and through. He knows he out of his wisdom brought you into being. So isn't it only natural, not supernatural, it's just natural that he is the key to enabling the fullness 
of his life to be filled out in you. It just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? He's the one who holds the secret and the spark of your life. He's come to restore you and to fill you. This irrepressible life, that's our source. The light has come. It's come to light your way to your Father so that you can know him as he truly is. Remember I said earlier, his, our imaginations concerning God were darkened. This, God's had a really bad press, and I think I know who's responsible. There are so many lies about the nature of God, but Jesus came to show us truly who the Father is and what he's like. He has come to light your way to the Father, your Father. And so, not only so that you can know God as he truly is, but you can know yourself as you truly are, a child of God. There's that, um, that bit in this, that we read. For those who embraced him, took hold of his name, they were given authority to become who they really are, the sons of God. So you may say, well, is it possible, actually, to enter that place? Is it possible to stop being a migrant, a refugee, and actually to become a citizen? Is it possible to have my dignity and worth restored? Well, yes. <coughs> Jesus has already done it. He already is the man. <laughs> He's the main man. Jesus is coming means that all that is in him is already yours. He's identified himself with you so that you can be identified with him. Now we have access in him and through him to our Heavenly Father. We have access in him to this incredible thing we call eternal life. You know, Jesus... <clears throat> In John's Gospel, Jesus only uses the phrase about being born again in one place. The rest of the time, whenever he's talking about what our destiny is, he uses this term, eternal life. And he sums it up in John 17. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, does anybody want to get born again, again? Uh, I'm, I'm up for that, you know. But what he says, now again, interestingly, we've, we've presented a gospel which says, believe in Christ, believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. My mama. Jesus never says that. He only says this. He says, believe in me. Believe in me, your creator. Believe in me your life source. Believe in me, your blueprint. Believe in me, your source and your origin. Believe in me, the light. Somewhere in all that package, your, your sins are going to get forgiven, I promise you. But it's so much more. Because what he's done has introduced us to this realm of face-to-face -face relationship with the Father. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. 
and when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.